0: Welcome listeners to Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Andrew J. Schreier, and I am joined today by Kylie Butler. Thanks for joining me.
1: My absolute pleasure. It's awesome to be here.
0: Yeah. Now, the one of the most unique things about us talking right now, it is 6.30 p.m. my time, and it is 7.30 a.m. your time because you are located in a much different spot than Wisconsin. Where are you from?
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm in Bali, Indonesia. I'm actually from Australia, but I'm, I live in Bali. Yeah, and so we are 13 hours ahead of you. So coming to you from the future, it is yeah Friday morning here.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm getting ready for my night to wind down. At some point, your day is is starting to go, but that your story about where where you are right now, part of your recovery, is a part of that story, isn't it? And, and how you got to where you are?
1: So, um, about, yeah, landing here in Bali is part of, yeah, part of um, the story, yeah, the long uh, sobriety so, uh, story. I actually did rehab here in Bali, and that's part of how I got really grounded here. But the story began before I arrived here on the island.
0: Yeah, and uh, the one thing that is really great to learn about it when i first started hearing about you and and learning about you was your episode of your podcast which we're going to talk about everything that you do because you do a lot of things is your episode on how i came to live (laughs) on a tropical island q a is a really great episode to get to know you
1: Mm. okay yeah thank you so that one i actually because yeah listening to my podcast you would be aware of this but almost all of my podcast episodes are interviews and, you know, I get a few questions and one of them is, you know, how did you end up there? And I have kind of the short story and the long story. So if I'm meeting you randomly in a bar or whatever, it's just like, you know, I'm here because I love the lifestyle. It works well. I was a digital nomad. Because, so with all my work, it's online and location neutral. So um, that, and that is part of the answer, you know, like why not live here and, um, and travel and, you know, live in a place where i can afford an incredible lifestyle it's still close to australia and i can travel and work so that's the short answer the longer answer is and that's all true and the long answer is i actually had a terrible relapse over here and ended up in rehab and from the rehab belts got into the local aa community and i hadn't been big on 12 step prior and got into a really beautiful community here that set the foundations for a, for a real sobriety. I did. I'd stopped drinking before, and I'd tried to kind of stop the chaos by going to rehab. But I'd never been serious about changing my life. And and also before I came to Bali, and before these last relaps, I'd kind of blown up everything in Australia. You know, my um, my ex fiance had left me, um, and it, so I'd had to move out of out of our home. Um, you know, things are. Had- got really dire and then I came over here I kind of scrambled back up again I'd got a new place in Byron Bay and I was like yeah I'm ready to start again but I still hadn't really put down the drink and I came over here still dabbling with drinking and had a really hideous relapse and was just you know I was announced on a local group as lost you know went missing wow. in that villa in Changu just drinking myself into oblivion and was uh, and was tracked down and taken to rehab, and that was a that was a really dark moment. Um, then I met you know a soul sister there, met an incredible community, and started to set up the life that I have now.
0: Oh, that's great. And now I it's an interesting question with you know treatment and recovery. I imagine some people think you know an island, beaches, all that nice stuff. Do you think that sort of Lifestyle gets a bad reputation among like recovery and treatment with substance use?
1: That's a really interesting question because I think the audience is kind of divided, aren't they? Because we have this, firstly, there's that wherever you go, there you are. So doing a geographical does not solve the problem. It doesn't sort our head. Yes, it's lovely to be somewhere where there's palm trees as opposed to gray buildings and environment is key to... Uh, to recovery but it's certainly never as easy as going somewhere pretty and nice and relaxing and you're going to you're going to get clean and sober it does not at all mean that you don't have to do the work and it comes with a different set of problems I'm living in an underdeveloped country here that has a whole other set of problems whole set of other things that are outside of your control um, I'm away from you know my family as well so moving away can can you know they can create some problems um, but I do very much believe in for recovery and when I say recovery not just putting down the drink and the drugs but building a life that you don't want to escape from in building a life in recovery I think that obvious environment is is critical and build somewhere where you go, where you feel you have community where you can flourish um, so for me Bali um, I'm a real nature lover. so I mean, I can't imagine getting sober in a city, honestly, just the stresses and the energy of a city. So for me, um being in you know in nature, close to the ocean, with a good recovery community, still relatively close to my family, and a place that also isn't so expensive. So I can afford to you know build a business that is meaningful and provides me with meaningful work that lights up my soul without a lot of financial pressure as well. So for me, this place works for a lot of different reasons, but I don't advocate people just going, you know, just going off to a a more beautiful place to get clean and sober, because that's, it's not going to sort out the problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I think you share a lot about the other aspects Mm -hmm. of recovery of the lifestyle, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, piece to it, as opposed to, Mm some of the treatments where we're trying to get people just to stop using or to get off of a substance, but there's that whole other aspect about that lifestyle that doesn't always get addressed.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And and I think anyone who's been in recovery for more than two minutes knows that, you know, putting down the drink or drug is just the very start bit. And even using how bad it got as a motivation to not drink, or drug that doesn't last very long like the the negative consequences that keeps us like scared enough to not you know repeat our behavior initially but we need an intrinsic motivator ultimately to stay sober we need an intrinsic motivator that last you know the the rock bottom ceases to become a motivating factor beyond a certain point in time right so it's so and when i talk about that intrinsic motivator we need to build a life that we that, that is sober that we're going to love to want to keep it as opposed to i really have never seen anyone be happy in sobriety when they've lived exactly the same life but just pulled the drinks or drink all the drugs out of it i just can't imagine because you have a certain life where you need that as medication and then no matter how much inner work you do living that same life without drink or drugs I don't know. I don't know. Can you tell me it's when you've seen someone do that and then it's actually worked? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. It's,
0: it's fascinating with with those aspects too. And I, I want to really talk with you about how your your journey led you to a meaningful life by design and everything incorporated with that because I've I found that really fascinating when you were talking about what's behind all that. So how did you go from you know, your journey and what you were going through to the a meaningful life by design?
1: Um, well, thank you Thank you for asking me this question. It's one that I like to, to answer because for me, you know, addiction is the gift in shitty wrapping paper. Like my life got so much better because it got so bad. And, you know, I really did have that kind of Phoenix rising moment. And I'm really grateful because <laughs> for some people that use drink and drugs and technology and sex or whatever, and they numb and dumb and distract through these things, they can kind of get by in life with a reasonable level of unhappiness, lack of fulfillment. But for me, things got so bad. And the gift in that is I had to reassess everything and start again and build something that I'm, that was, that was real. And what I found in my prior life, so in addiction and drinking, there's there's sneakiness and there's lying and there's we cover things up and it was not a real authentic life now I'd already been on the journey of of self-discovery on the spiritual path but I wasn't true to myself because I was still still drinking and drugging I was still abusing my body but talking about living healthy you know (laughs) and it, it all just so there was all this shame wrapped up in that as well and one of the most beautiful things I find about recovery is and you know the conversations the people that we meet in the rooms and in recovery is we get really honest and we get really humble and in doing that it means that we drop the walls we drop the facades and we show up as who we truly are and the beauty of that is that we then connect, get to connect with another human heart to heart in a really meaningful honest vulnerable way and I really believe that the beauty in my life now is because I have these heartfelt, honest, authentic connections with other humans. And so th- through this journey of getting sober and having to get real and having to be honest with myself and having to stop the, you know, the BS, what's happened in that journey is that um, I've now built a new life, a better life that is intentional, that is real, that is meaningful, that is fulfilling. So now I'm very clear on, um, okay, you know, what are my values and how do I want to live my life? How do I want to show up every day as the best version of myself? What do I want my life to look like? What relationships do I want? The um, the people who are going to be the most intimate ones in my life, you know, they're going to be aligned in my values. And, you know, how can I bring my my um, my unique gifts to the world in a way that's meaningful? So everything about my life is is intentional and purposeful, um, very far from the lies and the deception and the denial and the facades and the masks, you know, of um, of life pre pre recovery. And so what that's meant is that you know I used to work in corporate. I used to work in senior people in culture and culture and HR roles. Like, how do I use those skills for good, not evil? Flip them on their side and became a career coach. And um, and then, yeah, what else do I do in terms of wanting to serve and wanting to help? So, I'm, you know, you know, so far sober. Um, so, how do I? Um, help others on that journey, help alleviate suffering, help empower others, help inspire others. And that's just meant a life that means a business that is uh, career coaching and recovery coaching. I've got a few other businesses as well obviously the podcast host. and yeah, a life that i that I live that is meaningful and intentional. By design on purpose and then um I on my podcast share the journey of other of people who are also living very intentionally and purposefully um in the hope to inspire and empower others to um to live a life that is that is richer and more meaningful and a lot of that richness and depth comes from sobriety and honesty and humility.
0: And I've got a really I'm interested to know this this question because I have and mm-hmm. Listening to you talk about it, the word intention gets highlighted a lot. And I believe that's a word that is one of those not talked about enough in addiction and recovery and in treatment. So if you were to ask people, like when they went to recovery or they went to treatment, you know, when the, when's the word intention ever talked about? What have you ever explored with intention? I'm guessing there'd be a lot of like crickets, like that, that's not a common word that you hear. But you really strongly emphasize the need to have that. So, how do you look at applying intention to to someone's life? I think that's a big missing question.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so applying intention to an individual's life. So, because what we're what we're talking about there is ensuring that the person is living every day on purpose. So like if I, I sometimes, I kind of do this little analogy. So life when we're still out there, drinking, drugging, but just it's all about feeling good, the next high, external validation, all that kind of stuff. So we get all this stuff from outside that makes us maybe fill the hole inside, but we, you know, we get by, but then we no longer have our medication. So how do we live a life that mean that feels fulfilling, and like it has purpose. Well, we do that through bringing a level of intentionality to it. So really, and getting clear on who am I? Why am I here? What are my core values? How do I want to show up every day? How do I want to contribute to the world? You know, and then so when we're very clear on who we are, how we want to show up, what our values are, how we want to live, then what does that mean? What does each day look like? Does it mean meditation, yoga, doing meaningful work, helping another? When we really get clearer around, it's it's a we talk about in recovery a kind of a spiritual awakening if we talk about the 12 yep. steps, you know. So, and what does the spiritual awakening mean? Well, it means getting awake. It means stop being unconscious, stop being unintentional. To me, it means start being intentional. So you're awake, you're aware, how do you want to use this bloody life that you've got? You know, no more stuffing around, no more the alarm goes off, deal with that, throw some coffee down, you get to a meeting, you know, life comes at you and you just bat it back off. Instead of doing that, we've taken the work and the time and the effort and the blood, sweat and tears to get sober. So now that we've done that, how do we look at every day and go, you know what? This precious gift that is life, what do we want to do with that? You know, we're clear we're focused, we're grounded, we're centered. And I'm also talking about not just putting down the drink or drugs, but doing the work to get emotionally sober as well, because there's, there's big process when, you know, Addiction is the pathological soothing of a deep psychological wound. And if we just right. put down the drink and the drugs, that doesn't deal with the issue. And When when I, when I talk about when we're actually on the path of true recovery, of really finding a level of center and groundedness, then we've got the luxury of going, hey, what do I want to do with this amazing life? You know, it's my choice. I
0: think yeah, I can I'm think really... no longer
1: shackled by drink or drugs or right. having to like even do like um, – Uh, legal activities to get my next fix or or lie so that I can get drinking to me so that I'm not in pain anymore. Once we've cleared all that, what an opportunity we have to live a life that's meaningful.
0: I think that's really powerful Mm -hmm. because when someone, usually when people go to get help for their substance use or their, uh, whatever it is that they have a problem with, they're not in good, they're not in good shape. Like they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't seek my help as a counselor, because life is going very well, they're usually <laughs> they're usually in a very yeah. bad like mm-hmm. situation, and mm-hmm. then there's that focus of you know getting them help and and stopping the behavior, and then when when someone does stop, it's not all great and grand. Like some people are like, we'll just no. get sober and everything will be fine. Like when you get mm. sober, then you now all of a sudden get. You start feeling emotions you haven't felt for a long time. Like now you got to deal with problems that have been caused by that. You can't just escape and avoid and numb. But I see people get um, stuck in what I call no man's land because now they get sober. They don't necessarily know what they want to do or where they want to go. And I think the way you describe intention is like a perfect opportunity to like explore that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: to be like yeah, now I that you've done so that really. like what do you want like who are you now without the substance like what do you want to do with it what what is your your values or like i think that's a great opportunity to continue to foster that change versus some people who just kind of stick in no man's land they're still waiting mm-hmm. for like things to be given to them mm-hmm.
1: you no know, like
0: they get sober and they're like okay now i should.
1: I'm, on- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm here, God. I'm ready. Let's just like get the good stuff start happening.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I, I I love that about you using the word intention and really emphasizing it because I, I believe it's not talked about enough and that can be really powerful in, in helping Super people with powerful. that gap.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And exactly what you're saying to, to move out of that no man's land, to build a life that you don't need to escape from. And it's, and whichever way you get sober, if you put it down yourself or you do 12 steps or rehab or smart or recovery coaching or a clinical psychologist or whatever method or a combo, like I like a bit of a combination. If you're getting truly sober, um, then you can, there's some level of work that's done in that, some level of why did I drink or drug in the first place? What was I looking to numb? you know, or what was the pain that I was dealing with? And once we do that work, once we pare back, we're then in a place to be on the road to more self-discovery, on the road to asking and answering the questions of who am I and what do I want from this life? And I don't know if you remember this in terms of when you first get sober. When When we're drinking and we're drugging and it takes so much mental activity as well, all of a sudden when we put that down, the days become longer. We've got a lot of time to fill in. I wake up between five and six, you know, there's, and there's no numbing, jamming and distracting in that time. So we've got this life and it's, it's, it's a gift. What do we want to do with that? Cause it's yeah. painful if you are just white knuckling it through that.
0: Yeah. There's so much time. Cause everything, you know, it's not just the, at first people think it's just the using, but it, it also becomes the time it takes to get substances or get the, the engagement in the behavior then it becomes thinking about it mm. when you wake up in the morning or you can't your day can't get started and like you you basically become preoccupied that's where preoccupation comes in and that has consumed so much of a person's life you could even make the argument that the preoccupation with it can consume someone's day more than the actual time they're under the influence of a substance oh,
1: yeah. absolutely Absolutely.
0: Now, I have a very interesting question to explore with you. I'm, mm-hmm. I can't wait to ask this. As you know, entrepreneur, there's a lot of things that you've done to take risk in not just your journey, but with like your 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 business and, and stuff that you've been doing. Mm-hmm. How does that fall into line with? When we talk about risk, and I've I've heard you talk about like that there's some risk that we we do need to take. However, a lot of times in the recovery world, we are like, no risk, no risk taking, there's been too much risk taking, we need to avoid risk, we need to eliminate risk, we need to minimize risk. But, you know, you talk about like, there are risks, we do need to take. So how do we balance that risk that's going to be good for us, as opposed to the, the old lifestyle of risk that put us in bad situations?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And especially in early sobriety, we're particularly emotionally vulnerable. So it's not necessarily the the, the time to go, you know what, I hate my work, I'm going to quit. And then put yourself in a position where you're a lot in a lot of financial risk or yeah, the relationship is not working. So we're just going to ditch that and start making these decisions. I think it comes from... Well, I think any risk really should be about a calculated risk and taken at a time. So working with someone like, say, for example, so all the career coaching uh, that I do, when someone comes to me and they say, I don't know what to do next with my career. I'm unhappy or it could be any transition. I don't know what to do next with my career. I don't know what to do next with my life. I'm not sure, you know, I want to move, whatever. So it could be a significant transition. Let's even take the word career out of it. The first piece of work we then do, if, if you've got this level of uncertainty about a big decision in your life, often it also comes from, well, who am I? So the work that we then step back and do is, Um, And this could be done with a coach, a a therapist, whatever. Who am I? What are my values? What matters to me? Now, in career coaching specifically, we'll actually do psychological testing and we'll get an understanding of how risk averse that person is. So before um, I recommend to anyone to go out on their own and start their business, there's a couple of particular tests that we do with them to see how because let's be honest, like nothing in life is certain, is it? Like it, right. it, it's only the idea that we have a level of control um, is, uh, yeah, it's, it's completely false. It's a fantasy that we can control any aspects of our life anyway. So there's, yeah, I suppose there's a number of ways of looking at this. It's firstly um, making smart risks. So understanding where you, so working with someone, a coach, a psychologist or whatever, where am I in my journey how comfortable am I with risks, any risks that I'm taking, how aligned are they to sobriety and, you know, what's going to bring me meaningful work and a relationship that's healthy. So making those intentional decisions, um, not just mixing mixing things up. So it has to be about well-thought-out, purposeful, intentional decisions, Um, going back to, you know, accepting, what we can't you know can't change and having the courage to change the things that we can and therein lies the wisdom knowing which of those you know it is that what what we can change but i think um it becomes you know smart intentional decisions once we have a level of emotional sobriety and we're in a position to uh to make those changes and i don't think um living a risk-free life avoiding things is necessarily safe either because i mean if this global crisis has shown us anything is that it has how out of control our whole lives are anyway so i think falsely holding on to something with an illusion of like that's controlling as well isn't it you know so yeah it's the the wisdom to find that line around what's safe and and doing it with with a sponsor with a coach um, with other people you trust when you feel there's a level of emotional sobriety.
0: I've seen that too with people who I think genuinely are trying to help because they look at someone who gets sober and it, a lot of like fragile, like they're very fragile mm. early on. And especially that that first year is really big with, with sobriety. And I think a lot of like family members, loved ones, you know, like therapists, counselors, all that, they, they know the, the concerns with relapsing and everything like that is they're, they're really fragile. We want to like protect them and, and keep them mm-hmm. away from back all risks. <laughs> and I, and I've, totally. and I've, and I've heard things where, you know, I've had a, a, a patient or a client tell me they want to start their own business right out of getting out of treatment and they haven't had a job in years. A part of me is like, well, I don't know if they're like, is that really in your sights? Like, really like way too high. Like, are you about to like yeah. unrealistic expectations is, is a yeah. big thing that we talk about.
1: I think, I think you, you, you bang on here. And, and when I say like, yeah, making big decisions like that. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just got sober. I'm going to quit my job and start a new business. Like there needs to be an assessment that you have all the tools to, to make that change. So if it's starting a new business that you have that stability and groundedness. So if say, for example, you know, somebody was to come to me, they're getting newly sober, exactly this. I want to start my own business. I'd be like, that's wonderful. Okay. Let's work through that. What's driving you to want to start your own business. And also I'm a big advocate for running to something, not from something. So if it's just because they running from the shit show that they've caused before or the like, yeah, stop and let's make purposeful intentional decisions. Okay, so let's get clear on who you are, what are your unique gifts, what are your skills, what does the market look like? What what will the world pay you for? And then we can make and we can map out a plan. Okay, you might be doing therapy and recovery coaching or whatever for another six months, you're going to start investigating these different ideas and opportunities. So it's about, you know, it's really about working smart. So um, yes, there can be an an element of risk in your life. But of course, we are more vulnerable in in early sobriety. So yeah, I certainly don't advocate doing anything, anything crazy. And it depends on where you're at in your journey, really.
0: And I think a good part of what you talk about is you explore it and you talk about, mm. you know, like a calculated risk versus automatically. I think people right away are like, no risk, let's eliminate risk. Let's avoid risk. And as as great as that would be, that's just really not the world that, that we live that's in.
1: Exactly. That's not the world that we live in. And then if, if we're trying to be like, so eliminating risk, are we then suffocating life and um and controlling life and as we know when we control life and we hold on to things we have that harsh grip and then we could lose things and the the um the energy around that is all fear based which is and very unhealthy it, and that's
0: family. where i also see like mm. a safety net becomes it keeps you trapped in comfort zone mm. so then all of a sudden sorry, like sorry. someone someone is so kept in that safety And then all of a sudden it becomes more of a trap of being comfortable and then stepping out of comfort becomes so distressful where I see people like they, they help, they hold themselves back. They want to do things, but they're so afraid of, of the risk. And then you also see sometimes love, loved ones, family members, you know, even counselors, therapists, you hear some people dismiss some things about someone's ideas or dreams because it's seen Mm -hmm. as risky, you know, like they're not ready for that there. And I don't think we need to dismiss it. I think your idea of let's talk about it, let's explore it and let's make a calculated Mm -hmm. decision Mm -hmm. is something that's really not done very often in like the traditional substance abuse type treatment or counseling. So I love that aspect of it.
1: And I think you're bang on in terms of that getting stuck there too, because I see that in some of the communities of, I mean, the recovery community here, and I was in the recovery community in Byron Bay. And there was some of that kind of old school thinking, which essentially is fear-based. And it's also too like, if only if I keep all these elements in my life, I can stay safe, which is kind of dangerous because... Life is changing and those elements are going to go out. Like I've I know someone who's like, I do my breath work in the yoga, and I do my, my my meditation and I do my meetings and then I have to do all this to stay sober. That's a risky position to be in, you know, having that dependence on needing these certain elements of control. And I think it needs to be a process. But what I have seen before is in this recovery that I was in and the last one too, this. Also, people using that as a bit of an excuse. You kind of get sober, get comfortable, and then your life is just meetings and coffee or over here, meetings and coffee and surfing. And look, mm-hmm. if that's what you need to do to stay sober for whatever time, no freaking judgment because I made mistakes for too long around throwing myself in. Like, I would also, what I did in my, early kind of I can't even really call it early journey to sobriety but when I was dipping my toe in the water of getting sober and going to rehabs I'd get out of rehab and I'd get I'd start racing like sailing again and just just so you know I'd pick up all these old hobbies and it was (laughs) crazy like it was crazy I went way too far the other way but I wasn't I also wasn't ready for sobriety then yet either so I think it is the middle way, you know, the. Um, and if I was, if I had to, you know, get sober, do a meeting every day for a year, not be in a relationship, not make any decisions, that's not a life that I could stay sober in, honestly. So I think there does need to be some, yeah, people need to make the decisions that are based on who they are that are right for them with a trusted coach, psychologist, if they even over a sponsor. A sponsor, sponsor can help you through the 12 steps, mm-hmm. but I think work with professionals and loved ones to make these other decisions. Don't make rash decisions. Make well thought out intentional decisions that are aligned to not running from something, but aligned to where you want to go.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking yeah. at it and tying in that that intention. And you bring up a really another good topic that I wanted to ask you about was I've heard you talk sometimes about like having you've you've looked at like you've done stuff with like gratitude, you've talked about being out in nature, you've talked about I'm pretty sure I remember hearing about having um water with or hot water with lemon is a mm-hmm. part of like yeah. your and and when I've heard you describe some things, mm-hmm. you it it sounds like, and you can shed more light on this. That sometimes that routine and that like structure and stuff has has changed at times. Mm-hmm. It, it hasn't been where you do all these things every single day, all the time. Like there are certain times where you've you've done some things to help you out or to be a part of your routine, but it's it hasn't always been the same thing all the time. Is that correct?
1: yeah that's that's correct but i will say that i'm a huge advocate of having some really good nurturing um mind body spirit you know practices and habits um as much as addiction is a complex neurological condition we cannot pull the mind and the body apart they are so intertwined and um and honestly, if I look back on all my periods of when I'm traveling well in sobriety and when I'm not traveling well, and just when I'm traveling well in life, you know, is when I'm committed to the practices. So uh, back to that kind of starting every day with intention. So for me, it's about, I choose to live in love and not fear. So and to do that, I need to make, you know, conscious, purposeful, meaningful intentions to set up my life like that. So that means, so what a typical morning might look like is that first hour. Now, I will quote, um, I'll credit Hal Enroyd for the term, the miracle morning. Um, but you can do any kind of combination of this. But he's somebody who started a movement around this. But the idea is that we start up, if we set up every day with intention and with purpose. And the rest of the day lives like that. So as a sober person setting up the day that, um, who do I want to be and how do I want to live? So those decisions have already been made, but then there's practices to support that. So when I first wake up, when I'm just opening my eyes, I might say the serenity prayer and do some visualizations. So really powerful and kind of how I'm going to show up, how I'm going to live my life. um, then the first thing to, to I, I, and I go through periods, sometimes I do intermittent fasting, sometimes I don't, mm-hmm. you know, but it's something symbolic of nurturing the body. So um, some a hot water with lemon in it um, makes the body alkaline. So it doesn't really matter what you do, whether you have tea or whatever works for you, but it's kind of, it's the, um, it's the intention behind it. I'm going to nurture my body straight off the, in the day. Then there is um, normally some yoga, um, or exercise and a swim, so in that first hour, and we can also add on to that. Depends if more business clients will add in getting clear, clear on what your goals are. So, in the morning, kind of the some kind of prayer, meditation, visualization, yoga, or exercise, something whether it be green juice, a smoothie, uh, you know, a, a tea, but something that's going to nurture mind, body, and spirit, and really, so it's not that ah, the alarm goes off and I'm just going to react to life being thrown at me. It's like, I'm going to stand up and decide who I want to be, how I want to live this life. And I'm going to start by nurturing mind, body, and spirit. And then the rest of the day can roll from there. So you kind of start on this high of how you want to approach your day.
0: And I think I've, and I'm curious to know what your thoughts on this. I think some people and not just people with substance use, but in general, I think people, sort of do it backwards, like they're thinking if they wake up and they're in a good mood or they're uh, like things are going well, that then my body's going to feel good and everything's going to go well. Like they kind of hope that up here starts off good and that will Mm -hmm. dictate like the rest of what's going on. But we're kind of talking about you you should take care of your body and, and do some things to really... When you take back good going. care of your body, or
1: take care uh, of your mind, yeah, and you're absolutely absolutely bang on there. And then it's also such a misconception that we can think our way into right thinking; we actually can't. So, what happens with um, to, in our mind? We have the cognitive control network and the autobiographical network. The cognitive control network is um, when we're sitting in. So, if we're lying in bed. And we're just reflecting, um, looking back on time. We're not moving forward, we're just kind of daydreaming. What can happen then is a lot of shame and anxiety can come up. But when we become task positive, goal oriented, when we start moving forward, what happens is we move into the cognitive control network. The cognitive control network puts the brake on the autobiographical network and the cognitive control network. So that's task positive, goal oriented. So that's just doing little things. That makes it stops the anxiety and makes us feel good. So when we're in bed and we go, you know what? I'm just going to do five minutes meditation and I'm going to go and stretch before I start my day. So all these little things, I'm going to go and have a healthy green juice. All these little things start our thinking like they move us into good thinking and they move our body into action. And then all of those actions in the body then move the mind into positive thinking as well. So that's why we get up and we get exercises and we have the mind starts working in our favor as well. So it's then it becomes this beautiful loop as opposed to kind of, you know, any kind of negative um, feelings in the body that cause negativity in the mind and vice versa.
0: And you see people... and I've seen it with the clients and patients I work with with substance use and other behaviors and mental health that there's sometimes there's there's still stuck in that or engaged in that because sometimes they wake up in the morning the first thing they do is like hop on their phone and they might sit in bed and be on their phone for a while or I know when I worked in a residential program that the the residential program still allowed cigarette smoking and Mm -hmm. I know that one of the Half of the people that were there, one of the first things they would do without even like opening their eyes, they'd be laying in bed and like fish next to their bedstand, and grab a cigarette and walk outside. And and right away, they're just they're they're starting their day off already kind of like
1: setting up not the whole a good way. The totally. And look, that's one of those atomic habits to quote Jan- James Clear, where we can just we can make it really easy. So we can just be, you know, the the phones. Just you don't you don't touch the phone until you've done five minutes meditation and five minutes yoga or stretching. Or you just just gonna, you know, like gr- greeted the world with some beautiful big stretches and one sun salutation. Just these little things can shift, you know, the whole day and the whole trajectory of the day. But if you start by um, device, so some kind of toxic energy maybe there's news fear and um and toxicity with cigarettes it's just not a great way you can come back from that you can but why set yourself up like that why make it hard for yourself
0: yeah Yeah. i love introducing uh and especially like when you work in residential it gives you such a Mm. great uh setting to like work with people Mm. on like their habits because they 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 live there. So you, they Mm. wake up, they, they eat there, they go like, what were they doing with their afternoon? And I loved incorporating like a, you know, five minute morning meditation, you know, even like reflective questioning, like asking yourself three questions, like what do I want to accomplish for today? What, how do I want Mm -hmm. to be today and seeing like how those things can, here we go again, can really set you on, an intentional track of what you want to accomplish versus some people wake up if they're not in a good mood when they wake up that's kind of used as like a well there goes my day and now everyone gets to mm. deal with my bad day <laughs> mm. yeah. so I, I like that idea of you know incorporating those things and those little things that I think people ignore is what can be a, a game changer like they don't come with the big wow like oh my gosh five mm. minutes of meditation or hot water and lemon like that's gonna change things and it's like it's not gonna like change you overnight but those things but those happening. things
1: well it's like james clear talks about that you know that one percent changes is 360 percent. you know percent over a year so if if you start out in, and that's bang on if you start if people get into these habits in in early recovery in a residential program or whatever. It's funny when I was in rehab, I got all the everybody else, I'd start making everybody else hot water and lemon in the morning. And sometimes some of them would come and join me for a little bit of yoga before we started the day. The people who were typically like, "Oh my god, I hate the morning. I'm not a morning person." I'm like, "Yeah, you know what? You could challenge that thought. That's a belief system that's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, how about just give me a few days? Just just drop that and just try it. Just try it. And people will be, you'll be surprised yeah.
0: what am i what of my favorite this is one of my favorite client stories and mm-hmm. it's not even like a real incredible one maybe it is <laughs> maybe maybe i'm downplaying it but
1: <laughs> I, when
0: i worked in residential there was a guy that um every morning he would get up at like 6 a.m and he would go outside and he would shoot basketball he would take 50 free throws every morning and not everyone else liked it because it's basketball bouncing at
1: <laughs> in
0: the morning, but he did it every single morning and it, it, he was getting close to being discharged. And it was like the the last morning I was going to see him and I, I pulled up and I, cause I would get there early and I would see him and he's like, you know, I'm really going to miss this. And I was like, well, miss what he's going to say. I'm going to miss like shooting basketball, you know, like. I'd wake up and it got my breathing going. I moved around. Mm, my mind was so good. My mind was clear. Yeah. I felt like I was accomplishing something. I'm just going to miss doing that. And I'm like, well, why, why stop? Like, why, mm. why do you have to stop just because you're leaving treatment? I was like, you got a basketball hoop where you're going? And mm. the answer was yes. But mm. it was sort of like seeing that as something to do in treatment as opposed Mm. to something that I could do in my everyday life or something like that, it's like he kind of missed that point. Mm. But even something like that was, I think it was really important for his recovery. And and I I wish he would have kept doing that when he left.
1: Yeah. And look, we're not victims of our circumstance, you know, like really... Even in the most living in the most basic conditions, you can put a routine in of meditation and yoga at the start of the day. You know, this I'm too busy, you know. No, you choose to spend your time on other things. Now, if you've you've got four rug grates, you know, four little kids, you know, relying on you to survive, then admittedly you probably don't have a whole lot of free time to be sitting around in lotus. But But for the majority of us and even the busiest of us with the highest demand, you can still look at your whole day and find five minutes to clear your head or to drink something that's going to soothe your soul or just just being more mindful in the morning, just slowing down and being present, like giving a kid a hug and being there, you know, rather than rushing through life and not even realizing it.
0: Yeah. I love to see stuff like that. Like talked about and, and incorporated more. I, I know we're, we're much better where we're at today than when we've been in the past with things like that. But I still think mm-hmm. there's just not, there still needs to be that push into keep including those things. Mm-hmm. Because I still see a lot of people not taking advantage of it, not doing it. Um, they don't have time for it these little things that can really add so up
1: easy now too we've got apps if you can't meditate they'll show you how yoga all of those things like really um yeah we need to not you know people dress up um uh, excuses as as reasons and they're not their excuses
0: yeah uh so what you, you do a lot of stuff with the, the, the life coaching, recovery coaching at the the podcast, you've got plenty of stuff. What is in store for you with what you are still looking to do as far as, you know, giving back and all the work that you do? What, what have you been looking at doing or continuing to do?
1: So in terms of what I'm doing right now, um, I recently launched a new business uh, from here on, which is recovery coaching, a specific recovery coaching, which is a combination of cognitive behavioural therapy, motivational interviewing, um, traditional coaching methodologies, really all around setting up your life for success in all of those quadrants, career, health, finances, but all based around recovery. So recovery coaching, and that's all done you know, with clients around the world over Skype. So that is a big focus of mine doing the recovery coaching and um, working to build up some group programs there as well. So I'd like to, especially in this time of global crisis, provide what we would find in a normal situation like a group therapy session, doing some of those with with Zoom. Um, You know, I continue to give back to meetings here. I also give back in terms of um, other charity work. So on the island here, Um, it's a pretty difficult time it's an island that relied 80 to 90 percent on tourists and it's locked down so uh, service work is is big for me and really getting more people on the the podcast to help share their inspiring journeys um, with others and I continue to do one-on-one my career coaching is a bit of a slash of career coaching slash business coaching because I've launched a few businesses um, myself and yes sometimes it's combined with recovery coaching and dash of Buddhism.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now I have a great question that, that I'm, I just thought of, as you mentioned that with, because you do recovery coaching and you also do like career, do you get people that come to you thinking like, if I find the right job or if I find the right career, that's going to make my life better, or that's going to be the missing piece. Cause I see a lot of people tell me, you know, I just need this job and I'll be okay. Or I need like this, if I can get this work, I just need to work and I'll be fine. Like my recovery will be good. And I see that not work time and time again, but I still hear it from so many people. Do you get that sometimes? Yeah.
1: So in a different, a few different kind of flavors. So I have people who come to me for the recovery coaching. Generally, the people who come to work with me are not kind of unemployed, can't get a job. It's people who are already self-aware on a consciousness journey, want to find work that's more purposeful and meaningful. So it's not that I have people that come to me that are like have a drinking problem or something and think it's going to be fixed through work. So I don't encounter it there, but I do have recovery coaching clients who feel like once they get their work situation sorted it's going to be easy to stay sober and there's one one particular client and he has you know he hated his job and you know he was always like this is what's causing me so much stress once you know once he'd gotten sober but he's like once i'm out of this job then he wasn't deluded enough to think that he could go out drinking again um but um he thought that the stress in his life and he wouldn't need to commit to recovery once his job was sorted Um, and it became very clear in the work we were doing together I said your work situation you're in the dynamic that you have with your boss everything that's not working is because of who you are how you're showing up and the inner work that you haven't done on yourself when he got more grounded more centered His inner critic wasn't so strong, built set of stone. When he was more solid and grounded in himself, more emotionally resilient and stronger in his sobriety, then the work situation actually changed. The people around him that he that, that he hated, that he hated about work, that all shifted as he shifted. So the work becomes actually better as you shift and grow. And then funnily enough, he then actually left that job. Take, and I actually said to him, there were times when he was like, I just need to leave. I just need to leave. I just, and I said, you're going to recreate this same dynamic wherever else you go because you are the problem. And you and all the other situations, like I had to keep it doing pretty straight. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm not always depends on the client how direct yeah. I am with, no, with I love This it. particular yeah. man was very straight talking, and and also I was like, that's gonna be, be recreated, and um, you know, and and also when they've got a series of these jobs that didn't work, who's the common denominator? Bingo, it's not all these asshole bosses, it's that individual. So Um, so anyway, we, we work together. He's now got another job, which he loves, but how it happened is he actually got to a really good place in his job, then left and then got offered another job and, and it all works. The dynamics there are wonderful. He's respected and appreciated. He shows up differently. Um, but yeah, we're not going to, if a job's not working just by changing it up, it's not going to sort out you or your head or recovery. If you've got problems, you're probably bringing problems to the job.
0: Yeah. And I love you. What you said was incredibly insightful where instead of, you know, when people look at it as the finding the job or something, the right job or the right career is going to solve my recovery and all that, but it's, they do look at it as it's going to make my recovery easier. I think that's a very insightful view of it and believing that if I'm working, I'm staying busy or I'm more motivated or I don't have all this free time, but that's, that's not and always the case would, when you haven't would, addressed those it things. It will,
1: but you've got to do a certain work to get there. If right. Like we always say, there's no, there's no you know, um, magic pill. So you do the work to get a job that's fulfilling and aligned to who you are. And yes, that's going to bring you so much joy and fulfillment and you're giving back and adding value to the world. When you feel so good like that, you're so much stronger in recovery. You don't want to pick, pick up a drink. But there's no shortcuts to that either you've got to work through whatever problems you have, get clear on how you're going to show up and find a job that's meaningful and fulfilling. And you don't do that leap when you're still too rickety.
0: Yeah. So last question before we talk about where listeners can learn more about you, you do a lot of work with people from all parts of the globe. And Mm -hmm. are there things that as you hear stories and work with people that, when you, do you notice that there are so many commonalities or common things that people in in addiction and recovery are struggling with no matter where they're from? Are you noticing things that seem different based on unique circumstances or like, what's that like to work with so many people across the globe on the issue, as opposed to just like one community or one town or one area? That's a pretty unique fascinating experience
1: yeah that's that's a really good point and you know what i haven't actually thought about it because i've never worked with just one u- unique kind of area that's my experience has always been with this with such diversity so i work with a lot of like male executives in uh, in corporate and then i work with women who are in you know tel aviv and like really all all over the world like there's always those commonalities to addiction and recovery. And sometimes when I meet somebody who's an addict, you know, I'm like, ah, kindred spirit. I'm also very reticent to say um, we're not unique because we are. And I know that's kind of against kind of 12 steps. I think we are all unique, but there are still commonalities. So there are definitely, um, there are, as- because t- traditionally um, addicts are, highly sensitive intuitive sensitive people there is no gene for addiction there is a gene for sensitivity that's what makes us prone to addiction then we when we combine that with some complex trauma boom we have addiction so I suppose what I do find is that everyone that I've worked with in addiction has some level of complex trauma and what that is the little t's and not just the big ones. so it's not the traditional it doesn't need to be sexual abuse or wartime but there's a combination in there key years their core emotional needs were not met so there's through all the addicts that i've worked with um there is some level of complex trauma so repetitive lots of little sometimes lots of little t's um, right. lots of things that have happened um uh with men often boarding schools um um yeah it's those the impacts of our core emotional needs not being met when we're a child, that they are highly sensitive people, um, uh, absolutely goes across the the board. And then, um, I mean, they're the things that we would have in common, still facing the same challenges. I think it's particularly difficult if people if the situation they're in, they're not given an option, if they're just forced into 12 steps or just forced into recovery, um, that can be really unhelpful. Um, if people have got the option to use a combination of those. And I don't mean not doing the work whack and going going off to <laughs> pay some, you know, shaman to work magic on you to alleviate your, um your addiction, I think we still need to do the work, whatever program we need to do it in. Uh, but I think it's really helpful when people have an opportunity to work broader than just the 12 steps or just the rehab that they're in.
0: Yeah, I think it opens up to more of the full, like mind, body, spirit, you know, everything. Absolutely.
1: It needs to be addressed as mind, body, spirit everywhere. And people struggle when it isn't, when, they're, when it's only looked at from a uh, cognitive perspective. And again, commonality across all boards, um, just putting down the drink or the drug is not an, en- not enough, what was causing us. So there needs to be work with a coach, clinical psychologist, some type of other healing to work out what, what created this hole that we were looking to fill in the first place.
0: And I imagine you, you learn a lot more about these options or these services that are going on around, the globe, because depending on where someone is, how people view healing or how they view spiritual stuff or how they view taking care of your body, those, there's gotta be a lot of differences going on. There's gotta be some central themes, but how that's viewed is, that's gotta be some incredible insight and knowledge you get when you have these conversations.
1: There is like, I tend to, I suppose I'm in a position where I'm exposed to where I am in Bali. There's a very big spiritual community. So And there's a very big recovery community. So I'm exposed to kind of all of it. So you've got, um, you know, so you've got 12 steps. You've got rehab. We start with the, you know, traditional ones. We have uh, recovery coaching. Um, We have all types of healing. So, you know, you have obviously meditation, yoga, you know, kinesiology. You have plant medicine, um, psychedelics, um, which I believe play, can play a big part too. Not in early sobriety. Um, But yeah, so I've been exposed to a lot a lot
0: that's being talked about a lot more too with the psychedelics that has been definitely a growing
1: well the science behind it i'm a big advocate of the neuroscience of mental health and adi- and understanding addiction as a complex neurological condition that said i'm a bit woo woo and i'm you know into um, yoga and meditation and everything else but really and it has to be the mind body and spirit but the science around uh, what psychedelics can do is very powerful
0: and you're seeing that in in Bali, like you're seeing that
1: plant plant medicine's big in part of the recovery community that I'm in part of it, not at all. Another part it is. Yeah.
0: Wow. I I feel like I need to go there and and tour and see what this all looks like (laughs) as, as a, a different part of, you know, what recovery looks like and what, you know, taking care of all aspects of the human and the body mm-hmm. and the mind and the spirit and
1: that's a really cool. that tool. We're looking at all aspects of the human. And of course that's going to make us so much stronger in recovery. No magic yeah. bullet, but yeah,
0: absolutely. So if listeners want to know more about you, you're, we've talked about your podcast, which is a meaningful life by design. I highly recommend that the, I haven't listened to all of them, but I've enjoyed all the episodes. Like that favorite one, I said, if people, that Q and a one's a great one just to get to know you and then learn more about what you do, you know, where you got to and all that. I think that's a fantastic one to, to start with. And they can find you on social media, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. So the best, uh, best place to go is um, uh, a meaningful life by design. That is my Instagram handle. So um, a meaningful life dot by design. Um, but if you put in Kylie Butler, I me for life by design, <laughs> you'll find me. And then there is the meaningful life by design, uh, website. And there is a second one specifically for recovery called from here on.com.au. That's great. Partner based in Australia. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So listen to her podcast, you check her out on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you connect with people? Do you, uh, interact with people on Instagram?
1: I do, I do. And I'm always available for discovery calls as well. Yeah, I make myself very valuable.
0: Yeah. I find that a lot within this recovery community community with like other people that I've had as guests and you know, whether or not they're authors or they're podcast hosts, they're just sharing their recovery story. I hear so much interaction that a lot of people have through social media with people who respond or ask questions and and it's great to see that sort of it's,
1: it's wonderful to be able to connection. connect like
0: that. Yeah. yeah. And then go to her website also to, to learn more about all she does because you, you do quite a bit of things. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me to just find out you are doing something else or something more. I've um, actually
1: got other businesses, but I'm not <laughs> going to muddy the waters and start talking about them. <laughs>
0: yeah. But it's, it's, been, it's been truly a pleasure having you on this, this conversation. We could probably have you know a lot more of it, but I, I've learned a tremendous amount, and I think listeners are going to gain more understanding of a variety of topics we talked about. I love the intention stuff, the risk stuff that we talked about, all the different things. I, I can't thank you enough for all of the, the information and insight you've shared on this episode.
1: Thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. Lots of challenging questions to um, elicit that information. And yeah, it's been an absolute joy.
0: I like to try and add in like unique questions that aren't just like the typical mm-hmm. questions uh, just to get, you know, some more discussion and, and stuff like that. So I, I appreciate all of your insight and information sharing in this episode.
1: Okay. Thank you again. And thanks to both of us for making, and making the times work as well.
0: Yeah. So as your day is about to get going, is, yeah, your, your, yeah, your day has now started with with doing this podcast recording and my day yeah. is about to wind down. So that that's an interesting thing as we talked about uh, routine and, and with intent. So once again, check out her podcast website, uh, visit her on social media and learn more about what she does. And the work is incredible. So As always, I hope you learned something and we will talk to you next time.
1: Thank you again.